Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So this morning we're picking up where we left off as we, we work our way through the, the book of Daniel. Um, we're still in Daniel chapter 9. I, I split that chapter in two um, for good reason. Uh, I'm just going to throw this out there. This is probably the most difficult passage of Scripture that I have ever preached out of in my entire life. So um, buckle up. (laughs) We're we're going for it. Um, In the the first half of Daniel chapter 9, we see Daniel coming before the Lord and he, he comes before the Lord after he's, he's spent time in the Bible, after, you know, the Bible as it existed in the Old Testament, and specifically in the book of Jeremiah. And, and he starts recognizing that there's this prophecy that has been given to Jeremiah for the, the people of Israel that are in exile, that, that they're going to be there for 70 years. And Daniel starts counting on his fingers and toes, and he's like, I'm Oh my goodness, we're, we're almost there. We, we, we have almost made it out of this time of exile and, and we're going to come home again. And then he starts looking around. And he starts looking at, at the hearts of the, the people that, that are in exile. And he, this, this unfortunate recognition comes that, my goodness, we're, we're almost there. We have almost made it to the end, but no one has changed. The hearts of the, the people are still the same. And so that's the, the first half is, is Daniel coming before the Lord saying, God, forgive us. God, we as a nation ha- have stepped away from you. Forgive us in, in how we have tarnished your reputation amongst the nations. And we talked about last week how as a church, that doesn't mean that, that we come in, pray on behalf of the United States of America, which we can do. What the, the appropriate application is here is that we're praying that on behalf of the church around the world. That God, we as followers of Christ have at times fallen away. And God, we, we come this morning, we, we seek repentance. And, and we, we seek that, that you would have your way in our lives and in the, the life of the church. And so we, we move from that to the second half where we will say things get more complex. This, again, is potentially one of the most difficult areas of Scripture to preach out of, and yes, more complex than the four-headed leopard, okay? Uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're not dealing necessarily with all of these different animals and, and different beasts, but what we see in this passage of Scripture is that God hears our prayers and He answers them. And this morning, if, if we don't come away with anything else, that's, that's what I want you to come away with this morning, is that when you pray to God, He hears. And when you pray to God, He answers. And what we, we see in this, this passage of Scripture is, is in the midst of all of the chaos, all of the, the craziness of the world that, that Daniel finds himself in, even in the midst of the chaos that we find ourselves in, even when the future seems unclear, God answers prayer. If you 
research the second half of Daniel chapter 9, you'll find that there are plenty of scholars that have devoted most of, if not all of their adult life to studying this part of Scripture and what it means. And there are just as many people that have come up with just as many different interpretations of what it means. I'm going to talk about things that are my opinion, and you may see that at the end of this, I may have changed my mind on some of those opinions by the time we get to the end. That, that could be the case. <laughs> the only point of agreement that we see throughout all of these different uh, studies and all of these different scholars that are putting time in, into this book is that they don't know how to interpret it. So I want us to imagine a scenario Imagine a scenario where events in the country have left the future unclear for its citizens. That there is a transition of power where you know, some are excited about it, some are afraid about it. There's unrest amongst the citizenry. There's a dramatic economic shift that's taking place. The values of people that, that grew up in that area are... Uh, you know, disappearing more and more year after year. Most religious people within the country have, have caved to pressure and they no longer follow biblical truth. Can we imagine a scenario like that? Does that, I mean, it kind of sounds like every four years on an election cycle, if you ask me. Um, but this is where Daniel finds himself. This is the environment that, that Daniel finds himself in. Sometimes it's easy for us as followers of Christ to look at what's going around us and say, you know, the sky is falling. And, you know, we look at what's happening in the political arena. We look at, look at what's happening in, in the economic arena. And we, we look at these things and we say, oh my goodness, the sky is falling. And, and it kind of comes in those four or eight year cycles, uh, depending on who's the president of the United States, right? Sometimes we get focused on those sorts of things. I just want us to stop for just a minute and recognize Daniel has been in this situation for 70 years, <laughs> 70 years has he been looking at this like, man, is this ever going to get any better? But the fact of the matter is God sustains in the midst of all of those things, in the midst of economic unrest, in the midst of political unrest, in the midst of whatever is going on in your life, God is in control. And as a result of Daniel's prayer that we see in the first half of chapter 9, God sends the angel Gabriel to clarify. And it's weird that we're using the word clarification because when you look at what his clarification brought, everybody's just kind of scratching their head like, what are you talking about? So this is the clarification, you know, that we don't really understand. And, And these are the details that everybody seems to be in disagreement on except for that one thing that life is hard, God is good, and one day he's going to make all things new. That's, that's what we can take away from the second half of Daniel chapter 9. So we're going to read uh, Daniel chapter 9, 20 to 23 to start. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for the, his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel 
the man I had seen in the earlier vision came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice, and he instructed me, and he said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. So what was that, that first point that we were going to talk about? That God hears our prayers. God not only heard the, the prayer of Daniel, the, the repentance that Daniel was bringing, but he, swint, he sent Gabriel swiftly to assure him, to, to let him know that there, there was a plan. Do you know God never sends anybody to voicemail? There... Sometimes it's easy for us to, to apply our own human limitations to God. Sometimes it's easy for us to imagine that God is tired of hearing all of the things that are wrong in my life. That God is tired of hearing the, the things that, that I'm bringing to him in prayer, the things that I'm asking for, the things that I'm, I'm bringing before him. God never sends anybody to voicemail. And he doesn't only listen. It's not like he's just this passive guy who's, you know, the complaint box that goes into the shredder, right? Um, it's not like that. He answers. And God sends Gabriel not, not only with an interpretation, but with a message. What's the message? You're loved. Can you imagine having God send Gabriel to you and as you're praying to God and before anything else, I mean, here's Daniel praying about the future of the nation of Israel and the fact that they've been in exile for 70 years and God says, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna get to that, but first I want you to know, I love you. Even though you have been left in exile for 70 years, Even though you are in a land that's not your own, even though you have a king over you that, that isn't your own, even though there are all of these strange gods and customs and, and things happening around you, there's wars that are happening and, and people are dying around you, I love you and I know the plans I have for you. You are highly esteemed. God cares for you. One of the, the things that is so easy to miss as we look at this, and I'm going to read this chapter again. Starting at verse 21. It says, While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. There's a very important detail that is so easy to miss there if you just keep reading. And that detail is this, is that even though Daniel lived in exile, Daniel lived away from the city of Jerusalem for 70 years, he still knew what the time of the daily sacrifice was. He, still, he, was, he wasn't living on Babylon time. He was living on Jerusalem time. Even though Daniel was in exile, he operated as if he was still home. 
Are we maybe starting to draw a connection here? We are in exile in this place, and yet we are called to operate as if we are home. Daniel is an 80-year-old man, and he's talking about praying at the time of the the evening sacrifice. That was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon when they were in Jerusalem, when, when the temple was still standing, there was sacrifice that would take place there. There hasn't been a sacrifice for 70 years. The temple is destroyed, and yet Daniel is still praying at the time of the evening sacrifice. Why is he doing that? God never said stop. God gave direction that this is how you're supposed to worship me. This is how you're supposed to come to me in prayer. And we know that Daniel did it because everyone around him knew what Daniel's prayer schedule was going to be. Wherever Daniel is, he is still on the clock of what God is doing. He's in another culture, he's in another country. Even in the midst of exile, Daniel is operating as if he's at home. And that, that's the lesson for us to, to be learning here. And, and why do we care? Why, why does that matter? Is, is there something that's important for us to, to get beyond that? Because what's going to happen in the, the next few verses here is Daniel's going to learn that there is a plan, that God has a plan for his people. And that plan involves a Messiah, somebody who's going to come in and rescue his people. And that Messiah is going to come and is going to make a way for God's people to be with him for all of eternity. Okay. And since we have the benefit of looking back at the whole story, what time did Jesus cry out from the cross, it is finished? Three o'clock at the, the time of the evening sacrifice. And, and so what we see here is, is Daniel is praying at the time when the sacrifice of the, the spotless lambs is supposed to happen. And, and do you think it's an accident that God sends Gabriel right at three o'clock. I, I mean, I just imagine the conversation between God and, and Gabriel saying, hey, you need to get there right at three, please. There, there's some specific timing that I'd like to, to work out here. And so he sends Gabriel, and, and at three o'clock, the, this vision of, of what's gonna come about, this Messiah that's going to come and rescue God's people it is shown. And as we read these next few verses, let's keep this in mind. We have Daniel, this this 80-year-old man in Babylon, crying out to God for mercy. And we get that first message of, Daniel, I love you. I have never stopped loving you. As we think about that type of, of message... Do you need to be reminded of that sometimes? Uh, 
do you sometimes need to be reminded that God's love is not contingent on the things that you do? God's love for you is not contingent on your best efforts or your performance. You are not a disappointment. You are not an annoyance. You are not a frustration. You are greatly loved. You are greatly treasured. You are greatly pursued by the King of Kings who loves you. Well, yeah, he loves Daniel, but how do I know that he loves me? John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Let's, let's think forward to Christmas. I was at Costco yesterday, and there was Christmas decorations on sale. <laughs> I was like, man, that seems a little optimistic for July, <laughs> but it must be selling. <laughs> As the, the season approaches, we, we start to kind of make lists, right, of the, the people in your life, and you say, okay, you know, I love this person in my life, and because I love them, I'm going to, you know, allocate this much, and I'm, I'm going to give them this type of gift. And then let's, don't judge me here, but let's say, I know my neighbor might come over, and so I better have this tin of popcorn hanging out in the, the closet just in case they show up. Nobody else says that? Uh, <laughs> you, you know that's how it works. The, the value of the gift speaks of the level of relationship. And I'm, I'm not just talking about monetary value. It's, it's whatever that, that value of that gift is, the time that's put into it. So if that's true, how valuable is God's only son? And, and what does that communicate to the type of relationship that God wants to have with you? It's not a, not a tin of popcorn, that's for sure. 1 John 3, 1 says it best, Behold, what manner of love the Father has lavished on you. I love that word. Just, it feels extravagant and do you know that's the kind of love that God has for you? It's, it's extravagant love. That we should be called children of God. Maybe you have been listening to someone else's voice close to you saying that you don't deserve God's love. Maybe you have been hearing someone else close to you saying that you have made too many mistakes in your life. There have been too many things that have done wrong. You have made too many wrong choices. You do not deserve the love of the Father. And the hard part here is that voice isn't that far from the truth. Well, Matt, this is church. You're not supposed to say that. It's true. Except for one thing. That voice doesn't understand the grace of God. That voice is the voice shown in Revelation 12.10. The, the voice of the accuser who is before the throne of God saying, you have no idea what Matt has done. Look at all of the, the wrong things that have taken place in his life. Look at all of those choices he's made. Look at the choices he's making right now. You can see the future. Look at what he's going to do. And yet, in response to that 
It's that my grace is enough. Regardless of the choices that Matt makes, my grace is enough. The response that that comes is that the accuser has been hurled down to be triumphed over by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. You are loved greatly. Daniel 9, 24 through 27, it says, this is where we need to start getting out the calculators here. So it says, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will rebuild, it will be rebuilt with the streets and a trench. But in times of trouble, after 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people, of the, the people of the ruler who will come will restore, destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, and in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and at the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. And we all say... Yeah, <laughs> that, that all makes total sense. We're, we're ready to, to just move on. Again, God answers prayer. That's, that's what we see here is God answering prayer. And it's important for us to first recognize before we go anywhere else with this, that this is a specific explanation that is in direct response to Daniel praying about the Jewish people being in exile. It is always so important to understand the context of what it is that we're looking at. And as with all things that are exilic, that's a word, um, in nature, the, the current situation is a recurring theme that we see throughout the entire Bible. Look back, all the way back. To the Garden of Eden. Humanity is living with God under God's authority, under God's protection, under God's guidance and direction. And when sin enters the equation, humanity is exiled out away from the presence of God. Eventually, the, the people of Israel, such as they are, find themselves in Egypt. Is Egypt their home? No. They're trying to get to a promised land. One could say they are in exile in the land of Egypt, trying to get to their home, this promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a place that has been promised to their ancestors. On the way to the promised land, they set up something that's called the tabernacle. What does the tabernacle represent? It's a geographical spot where they can walk into the presence of God under the authority of God, where they could discuss the commandments that they had been given by God. And when they broke those commandments, what happened? They were exiled 
away from that community, away from that place. And then we have the people of Israel that show up in the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And this is the the place where they're supposed to be God's people. They're supposed to live under God's rule, under God's law, God's commandment, be in the presence of God. And what happens? They break God's rules and they are exiled again to Babylon. That's where we find ourselves today. And this happens over and over and over again throughout the Bible and throughout history. What is heaven? Heaven is a place where we will come together under God's command, God's authority, God's rule, and we will live back to the way it was at the beginning. This story is a recurring story. This is not new. It's a recurring story. And so we see God's authority, God's rule coming about. And so for Daniel, this message that has been given, this, this vision that has been given, he's for 70 years, he's been living away from God's place. He's living away from God's culture. He's outside of the, the fullness of God's presence. And so the picture of exile that we see talked about in this book is a picture of exile that could very easily be applied to us today. That we are living in a place that's not our home. So we start with this 70 weeks. What we see in 70 weeks, first of all, it's either 70 weeks, 77s. There's a few different translations we can look at. It's a timeline where God restores his people to be with him. So we have 70 weeks, 77s. Some say it's a literal seven weeks, 70 weeks, sorry. Some say it's seven years or that it's, it's just a symbolic representation and that the seven really has nothing to do with the conversation at all. Which I can kind of understand. And this is where we're gonna get into Matt's opinion for just a minute. Do we... Remember the conversation that Peter had with with Jesus, where Peter showed up to Jesus and he said, God, if if somebody has has done something wrong to me, do do I forgive him like five times? And Jesus said, no, you... You forgive them 70 times, seven times. And so... I'm pretty sure that wasn't like 490 and then on the 491st you get to slug them. It was probably more like you're supposed to forgive all the time. So another interesting thing that we see here is seven is, is a number that is associated to God. If we, we look at numerology, seven is a, a number of completion in the Bible. And so the point here is don't get hung up on the calculation. (laughs) That's not the part that matters. Let's focus on the big picture. So six things would be accomplished by before the end. And so this is coming from verse 24. First, the the, the transgression is going to be finished. So discipline is going to be done, is basically what that's talking about. And if we think about Daniel's context, what does that mean? That discipline is going to be done. Probably that the exile is going to be over, that they get to go home. 
I mean, that, that's what I think of when I see this. There is going to be an end to sin. God is going to deal with the penalty of sin. That there's going to be atonement for iniquity. That redemption is going to come. That there's an everlasting righteousness that's going to be available. That both vision and prophecy will be sealed. That means that confirming what it is that Daniel has been shown. And to anoint a most holy place. And it's interesting if you look at the translations for place, that can mean a place, a person, or a thing. <laughs> so we totally know what that is. So we, we don't really know. First, what we see here is we have these three different periods that are called out. So the first period, we have seven sevens. God will begin the process to help and restore the people to Jerusalem. 49 weeks or years, or something else. But what we do know is soon after this vision, Cyrus, the king emperor of Babylon, sends people back to Jerusalem to start rebuilding. 62 sevens is our our next period. And during this time, the people will be established but vehemently opposed. The walls will be built, but enemies are still going to be causing problems. If we go 483 years, let's just for a second think that that's what they're talking about. That gets us to the time, very specifically, when Jesus begins his public ministry. It's interesting to think about that that is the time where the the people of God will be established but vehemently opposed? Was Jesus opposed? Yeah. Okay, could be way off here. Okay, this is just things for us to be thinking about. Third period, 1-7. The cutting off of the anointed one will lead to a climactic battle yet secure a dwelling place for God's people. So 30 AD, an anointed one will be cut off. Seems potentially to point to Jesus. Was Jesus cut off? Yeah. When the the sin of the world came upon him, God turned his face. And after the death of Christ, was there a place of God that was destroyed? Was the temple destroyed? Yeah. The temple was destroyed just a few decades later. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. If we look at, at the verse 27, it says, He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, and in the middle of the seven he will put an end to sacrifice and offering And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed, that has been poured out on him. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing, or excuse me. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place. So I want to say something in as loving a way as possible. I have no idea what this is talking about. <laughs> I, I really don't. And 
you know what I, I have kind of started to realize as I, I have studied the Bible, especially studying these parts of Scripture, it's you, you kind of come to a place where you realize, that's okay. It's okay that we don't necessarily have all those answers, but it just means that we need to look at it and say, well, what am I supposed to get out of this? There's got to be something that we're supposed to be receiving out of this. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, so some think that's talking about that, that event that we talked about a while back where uh, the Greek king shows up. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I'm sure we'll, we'll get there. Uh, he shows up. He sets up the statue of Zeus in the temple. He sacrifices the pig. Some, some think that's what we're talking about. Some think this is talking about a future uh, desolation or, or desecration that will take place. One point that I want to consider that I haven't necessarily seen talked about as much. Can we think of another sacrifice, another, another act that was as deplorable as the sacrifice of a pig in the temple? I can think of one. When this world put to death their God. When this world made a choice to put Jesus Christ on a cross, that's pretty deplorable. And where was he? He was, he was in Jerusalem and said, oh, oh that, that fits. And, but hold on, let's not get too carried away. He, he was on the outskirts of the city because that's where, that's where the place of the skull was. They didn't want like crucifixions happening in the middle of town. It was on the outskirts because that's, that's where sin goes. You have to be exiled. And, and what happens in the temple when that 3 p.m. hour hits, when, when Christ says it's finished, the curtain is torn from top to bottom. The veil is torn and God says, come back home. Come out of exile. Come back home. There is a, a prophecy that, that Jesus gave in John 2.19. And at the time, everybody was like, what are you talking about? The, the temple itself, Jesus said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. And they thought he was talking about the, the stones, right? They thought he was talking about the, the building. But that wasn't the point. The, the real temple and presence of God was there through the, the work and the person of Jesus. And so while we, we look at this scripture and we see all of these uncertain details, the, the foundational message is one that I'm absolutely confident in, is one that, that I am sure of, and that is Jesus has made a way for us to come home. And the, the message that, that is being given to Daniel is that, Daniel, I have a way for you to come home. I have a way for my people in the middle of Babylon to come home. And I, I have a way for, for my people that have been scattered throughout all of creation to, to come home. I have a way, Paul, for you to come home. 
I, I have a way for all of the people that I have chosen, that have chosen me to come home. And all of the, the other details that, that we sometimes find ourselves getting hung up on don't necessarily matter as much when we start to recognize that there is a way for us to come home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have made a way for us to come home. God, sometimes it is so easy to get focused on our current circumstance, the, the difficulties that we're dealing with in our, our daily life, whether it's, it's a matter of provision, whether it's a matter of health, whether it's a matter of something else, something that's going on with our family. God, we come this morning and we, we recognize that in the midst of all of those things, all of that uncertainty, you have made a way for your people to come home. God, we, we also come and we recognize that this is not that place. Sometimes we can get so focused on, on this place that we lose sight of the fact that you have something so much better in store for us. God, I ask that you would give us an eternal perspective. Cause us to lift our eyes out of our current circumstance and put them on you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop.